for the younger ones among us, Jesus was a great teacher. He had a way about him. He would gather the crowds together, and sometimes he would tell stories, and sometimes he would point at things and say, look at that. This is what it's like. And today, he had a very interesting story to teach his disciples and the crowds that were following him. And it wasn't the kind of story that um, some people thought he would tell, because he was talking about what would happen to him when he would die on the cross. He basically said, I'm going to die on the cross, and then after three days, I'm going to rise again to new life. And this was a story that Jesus told, a teaching that he was trying to help them understand, but they might have been a little confused, especially Peter. So this is what I'm going to try to figure out with you, is what do we make of this story of Jesus dying on the cross and then three days coming back to life? I mean, it's one of the central, most important stories that we talk about in the church, and we talk about it a lot, but sometimes maybe it is hard for us to understand. So I thought maybe if we, if we thought about uh, butterflies, maybe we'll have a better way of understanding. So... If you can think of how a butterfly starts its life, do you know what the first phase of life is for a butterfly? Say it again. Right. So even before that, what happens to a butterfly? In the butterfly's tummy, and then the and then they lay an egg, and then they right. So they start by eggs. The, the, uh, the uh, eggs are laid on a leaf of a tree, and there they sit for a while. And then, and then what do they hatch into? Caterpillars. They hatch into a caterpillar. And, and have you ever seen caterpillars? Caterpillar colors? They're kind of cute. You know, when I was a kid, I used to play with caterpillars all the time when I'd find them. And they're different sizes, and some of them are fuzzy, and some of them are not so fuzzy, and they were different colors, and I couldn't wait to see them when they were butterflies. But you're right, there's another phase. So they go from an egg to a caterpillar, and then they go into this almost like a cocoon, right? Yeah, and you knew the word. Say the word again. Cocoon. Chrysalis. Yeah, chrysalis or chrysalis. Yeah. And, and it's a wonderful place for them just to be for a while. But we know that there's something happening inside. They're changing and they're growing. And before you know it, out pops this beautiful butterfly. So... It's an amazing story of life and new life and renewed life, beautiful life. 
And that's what Jesus was talking about when he told the story that, yes, he was going to die on a cross, but it wouldn't be the end of his life, that there was something next that would happen. After three days, he would come back to life. And he wanted the disciples to understand that because that's the message for us as well. For those of us who belong to Christ and are part of the community of Christ, um, that's what we learn happens to us in our baptism. We become connected with God in baptism, and then when we die, we don't stay dead either. The promise is we come back to life. It's a brand new life, and it's a wonderful life, and we'll live forever. And it's a good reminder for us in this Lenten time because so often we get stuck on the stuff that we're thinking about in our confessions and the sinfulness of our life and the ways we need to grow and change. And this is a wonderful reminder to us that we're growing and changing all the time and the end result is going to be something wonderful because of what God has done for us. So that's our reminder today. We're constantly growing and changing. We're going to look like butterflies someday. Maybe we already do. And that's a good thing. So this is our prayer. Gracious God, thank you for raising Jesus to new life. And thank you for promising us new life in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And then for the older ones among us, I would uh, share one of my favorite all-time cartoons from the New Yorker magazine back in the day when I lived in Metro New York, and I've clipped it out and I've saved it and I like it. Uh, it's, it shows uh, two businessmen sitting at a bar, and one was clearly despondent. And the, un the unhappy one says to his companion, I was on the cutting edge. I pushed the envelope. I did the heavy lifting. I was the rainmaker. Then suddenly it all crashed when I ran out of metaphors. Maybe I only find it funny. I don't know. But I want to talk a little bit about metaphors. They clearly play a significant role in our lives. And not just as linguistic tools, but as much more. Metaphors help shape our thinking. They convey philosophy. They express theological concepts. And of course, metaphors, whether pithy or catchy or deep or extensive, are not simply a modern phenomenon in communication. They're probably as old as human language is itself. For example, we know that the master teacher, Jesus, taught in parables. And they're sort of extended metaphors beautiful symbolic stories that provoked contemplation and challenged the status quo of the day. Symbolic language 
was prevalent in Jesus' teachings, like, I am the vine, you are the branches, or I am the light of the world. And he tells us about the pearl of great price, the wheat and the tares, the house built on shifting sand. And unlike our businessman in the New Yorker cartoon, Jesus never seemed to run out of metaphors. So not surprisingly, across the centuries, there has risen a lot of dispute about metaphoric language in the Bible. Is it really justifiable to take the language of the Bible metaphorically, or does reverence for the texts require us to understand them as literally as possible? It's a controversy of great importance, and I think because what is conveyed in the biblical language is so significant to all, a lot of people want to weigh in on that conversation. We don't want to miss a shred of the meaning intended when we look at Scripture. I'll put in a plug. That's one of the reasons why we'll be watching, starting Wednesday, the series of uh, lectures by Dr. Mark Allen Powell on how Lutherans interpret the Bible. And it will give us some insight into how we look at things, especially those difficult passages. So anyway, going back to our text, uh, the gospel lesson for today, how do you understand it? Metaphorically or literally? If anyone want to become my followers, Jesus said, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. As one commentator read that I noticed this week, uh, he said, the cross in Jesus' day was not a logo or a metaphor. The cross was an instrument of pain, shame, absolute loss, and death. It was a real weapon. The only way to take it up was to become its real victim. So when Jesus picked up his cross, it was to set him against the Roman Empire and the temple authorities, against the ideology of the world that oppressed and shackled God's people, and against everything that hindered the breaking in of God's reign, which was to come. So he picked up his cross to go to his death, literally. But when the writer of St. Mark's Gospel related Jesus' teachings on the matter, we see that something new was slipping into the meeting and the implication of cross-bearing was changed a little bit, because as Jesus told it, every one of his followers then must bear a cross. Then the question is, will every one of Jesus' followers face the same cruel and tragic death that Jesus faced? Well, in Mark's day, that threat of crucifixion was still there, as this gospel was being written some 40 years or so after Jesus' death, there was still a great deal of conflict uh, 
about the Christian church's existence and what it is that they believed and taught. Social, political, and religious instability was inescapable. Rome was appointing a new Caesar because Nero had died. The temple in Jerusalem was under siege and soon would be destroyed, while Jews were divided over supporting Rome or rising up against Rome, and the fledgling band of Jesus followers were caught in the middle of all this stuff that was going on in their world. And their beliefs neither persuaded them to fight Rome nor encouraged them to support it. Neighborhoods were divided. Families were divided. It was a difficult, desperate, and dangerous time. So this line from Mark's gospel about cross-bearing reminded Christ's very early band of followers of the cross's very literal potential to take human life. Depending on the choices that they made, indeed, it might be theirs. But also, this line spoken by Jesus would have reminded them of the prospect the cross offered to help them gain everything. So when I was in seminary, I had a classmate whose grandfather knew a lot about crosses, literally, uh, as my friend would tell it, back in the 1950s, his grandfather was a grand wizard of the KKK. And on more than one occasion, his grandfather led other men in erecting and burning crosses on private lawns and on public property. What motivated the use of these crosses for this purpose always is a question that I have. Um, but clearly, I think the answer is hatred, animosity, hostility, bitterness, ignorance. All of these were driving forces behind doing something that my friend's grandfather thought was important. And the implementation of the cross and expressing them scared many people um, and caused a great deal of harm. So my seminarian friend didn't speak much about that period, uh, only when people would maybe pull him aside and bring it up in private conversation. And I remember asking him a little more about it one time, and he smiled and he said, well, uh, what happened with my grandfather really was a conversion experience uh, about midway through his adult life, he began to see the cross in a very different way. Um, it had one time been for him an emblem by which he spewed hatred, but one day uh, when he was sick and he started reading the scriptures a little more, um, he began to understand differently what the cross meant for Jesus and for the life of Jesus' followers. And he read this very gospel about taking up your own cross and following Jesus. And it was in that meditation, in this very gospel lesson, that he realized that every cross that he had picked up so far in his life 
he had misused. So at that moment, he had kind of a conversion experience and he prayed for guidance on the matter. And he would tell the story that God told him exactly what he should do now with the cross. And he said that his grandfather nailed his rage on the cross and let it die there. And with death, something new happened within him. And then he went on to say that his life changed in dramatic ways. And uh, he said there was an example, this is my friend now going back to the town where my grandfather, uh, where his grandfather grew up. And he said he met someone there who knew his grandfather and talked about all the ways after he had been uh, in the KKK and changed his life that he got involved in building up the community and serving the poor. Uh, he uh, helped out in soup kitchens. He gave as much money as he could to local programs that uh, restored people's homes and um, and people remembered him really fondly for having literally had a conversion experience. So from a grand wizard to a humble Christian with the heart of a servant, um, that can be and is the power of the cross. So if I were to ask you if the cross still had its uses for your life or a use in mine, what would we say? So, of course, we would say that the cross is no longer employed as the Romans, as it was in Jesus' day. We're not going to use crosses to put insurrectionists to death. But there is a powerful and formative change because of the cross in our Christian identity and the potential that it has on shaping us as we live out our faith in lives of witness and service to others. So now in modern times, perhaps, we could understand to the cross to be the place of our ultimate transformation, a place where we can hang our arrogance or our rage or our bitterness or our prejudice, or our greed, all the things that we think about in this Lenten time in our confession, we can put them all on the cross. We can let them die so that something more eternally good and grace-filled and Christ-like might be resurrected in us. So let me ask, what is it that we need to hang on the cross this day? Is there something within you or around you that should be hung there? Does something in your life need to die for something else more gracious and good and generative to live? Think of the hundreds and thousands of Christians who have trusted in the cross's power to change things whether in their own life or whether a change needed to be made because of a social condition, a political injustice, or a national disgrace. So the cross for us can be 
a lovely and wonderful thing. Let's make no mistake about it, though. Such cross-bearers often carry a heavy, heavy load as they take their crosses up to follow Jesus and the causes that they embrace and the burdens that they bear. That they, that they bear. But they've done it time and time again with sure and certain conviction that the potential and the power of the cross that bursts into the world when Jesus first shouldered it is now accessible to us and is equally as powerful. The cross is now our means to grasp and enlist the transformative power which is capable of making God's reign more fully present in and around us. So today is about crosses. Jesus carried one literally, and his father, followers have been asked to shoulder them ever since. Does the cross play a role in your existence? To be quite honest, I don't expect many of us to feel its crushing weight or bear its splinters in our hands, but if we as Christ's people it should be something more than just maybe a vague memory or a metaphor. The cross should mean something powerful. It should help us to experience transformation, and it should be central to our lives. Auguste Rodin was that French sculptor who one day found an enormous carefully carved wooden crucifix beside a road. He brought that cross home because he admired it so much. And when it arrived, he found that the cross was too big to fit inside his house. So what did he do? He knocked down the walls, he raised the roof, and he rebuilt his house around the cross that he had found. That's a wonderful metaphor. What if the cross was so central to our lives, to our homes, to our congregation, to our very being? What if we lived under the shadow of that cross every day? What if it stood so near that we could pick it up whenever its power was needed? What if we were poised to hang every evil on it, every sin on it, every injustice on it, every hardship and pain on it, to let the cross do its work as it has for millions and millions of people for thousands of years? Then it would be more like an empty metaphor. It would still be doing the work and what's more, we who are the agents that employed that cross would be God's agents of transformation. We would be, metaphorically speaking, the cutting edge, pushing the envelope, doing the heavy lifting. We would be the rainmakers. So the invitation for us today is take up your cross and follow me. That invitation from Jesus. What greater call could we ever accept 
to hear and respond to than that. Amen.